Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. A reading from the Old Testament book of Exodus. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my might, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. His picked officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You sent out your fury. It consumed them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your steadfast love, you led the people whom you redeemed. You guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples heard, they trembled. Pangs seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. Trembling seized the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan melted away. Terror and dread fell upon them. By the might of your arm, they became still as a stone until your people, O Lord, passed by, until the people whom you acquired passed by. You brought them in and planted them on the mountain of your own possession, the place, O Lord, that you made your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, that your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his chariot drivers went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Then Moses ordered Israel to set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. That is why it is called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he put them to the test. He said, 
If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give heed to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will not bring upon you any of the diseases that I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they camped there by the water. And this, my friend, <clears throat> my friends, is the word of the Lord. You know, it's, it's fascinating to me to see how, how nations can go to war against one another, inflicting all kinds of harm, and then years later become friends as if nothing ever happened. After World War II, America's enemies became her allies, and one ally became an enemy. During the war in Vietnam, almost 60,000 Americans died between 1961 and 1973. But today, Vietnam is considered a desirable vacation destination for people from the U.S. International relationships can change rapidly. In the Bible, the relationship between Israel and Egypt certainly changed from era to era. Egypt had been a safe haven for the ancient patriarch Joseph and his family during a time of famine. And then, years later, the descendants of that family were enslaved by the new pharaoh. And then fast forward to Jesus' time, Egypt again became a safe haven, this time for the Holy Family. But the relationship with an old enemy can take on a life of its own, for good or ill. Uh, many years ago, I, I knew a man uh, from the Philippines, a Filipino man, who harbored a deep hatred toward the people of Japan. He was very vocal about his hatred. And he had that hatred because of the atrocities committed by some soldiers in his village when he was a child during World War II. In contrast to that, I, I knew another man some years later who had been an Italian prisoner of war during that very same time in World War II, and he was imprisoned right in the town where we both lived here in Southern California. He ended up falling in love with the land of his enemies and took up permanent residence here after the war. Israel's relationship with Egypt seemed to move back and forth in those kinds of ways. Being rescued from their enslavement in Egypt was understandably a very big deal for the ancient Hebrew people. Enslavement was, was all that they had ever known since they were distanced by generations from the time of favor and prosperity that was enjoyed by their ancestor Joseph and his family. And now they are finding themselves out in the wilderness, the desert, roaming in a way that seems insecure and aimless and yet still carrying with them the invisible chains of slavery. Can you imagine what it would take to change the thinking and behavior and expectations of a people who have only known a life of captivity and forced labor? labor? Uh, many African-American people initially faced this crisis of identity after the Civil War in the United States. Although the institution of slavery had been abolished, the people who had only known enslavement were now faced with a, a kind of nomadic existence with few resources to help them navigate this new life. The ancient Hebrew people may have been faced with a similar challenge. 
Once the people have escaped from Egypt and, and after the Pharaoh and his army are dispatched, Moses launches into a song of praise and remembrance, celebrating what God has done. You can imagine how Moses felt having faced some, some pretty serious obstacles in getting Pharaoh to let his entire labor force leave the country. With the defeat of Pharaoh, Moses and his people are now free. Yes, indeed, they are free. They are free to wander around in the wilderness with no roof over their heads, free to have no supply of food held in reserve, free to not know from one day to the next what was going to happen to them, and as we see in our text this morning, free to find themselves in the middle of the desert without any drinkable water. Well, many of the people might have been thinking, if this is freedom, then give me enslavement. But what they will actually say to Moses in the upcoming chapter in Exodus is this, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. In other words, the devil you know may be better than the God you don't know. You know, I imagine someone saying, hey, great song that you just gave to us, Moses. We really should just write it down somewhere. But now that you're done singing, what are we going to do about drinking water? Well, to be fair, going without food for a while is one thing. A, a person can go as long as a month without anything to eat and still survive. But lacking water, everyone's life would be at risk in, in a matter of just a few days. And Moses has led the people to a water source, but the water is undrinkable. It's bitter, as we're told, probably made so by a high saline content. And understandably, the people are not happy about this. So God directs Moses to solve this problem by tossing a piece of wood from a tree into the water, which then turns the water sweet rather than bitter. Now, over the years, some have suggested that there are certain plants in that part of the world whose wood can indeed absorb the saline content of water. Now, this has apparently not yet been scientifically verified, but nevertheless, it is what Moses does, and we're told that all is now well, and there's plenty of water to drink. You know, if there's anything we can say about these ancient Hebrew people, it's that they always seem to be right on the edge of grouchiness. And it's not just that they are troubled for some good reasons, like, like the lack of food and water. It, it's that their unhappiness drives them to seek comfort in the place of their former enslavement. Regardless of what has happened to the Pharaoh and his army, the people keep looking back to Egypt, the land of many gods, gods you can actually see, uh, the, the land of bread and meat, the land of captivity and of hard labor. And they want their former enemy to now be their savior. In his song, Moses asks the rhetorical question, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? And the implied answer is, of course, no one. While Israel's view about other gods changed over time, one thing was constant for the faithful ones of Israel, that 
all the other gods and uh, all the other idols and the gods that they represent are nothing compared to the one true God who has rescued his people from Egypt. However, while the gods themselves were nothing, the impact of worshiping them was something. You know, worship forms people, even if the objects of worship are created by the worshipers themselves. The Hebrew people had been formed by their subservience to the Pharaoh, who the Egyptians believed was the very embodiment of the Egyptian sun god. However, that deity, in actuality, was a nothing. The sun was something, but that it was a god was nothing. And, and the people repeatedly expressed their desire to return to the false security offered by that existence in Egypt. And to be honest, God doesn't seem to be helping matters much. Sure, Pharaoh and his troops have been defeated, and there's the whole pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, but outside of those kinds of big experiences, the day-to-day -day existence of the Hebrew people has a, a real lack of the spectacular. And they will soon find that it's good to have manna to eat every morning, but they'll still have to pick it up off the ground in order to eat it. And sure, there will be quail for meat, but they'll have to chase them and catch them, like you do with quail. And now there's this water situation. Rather than a flash of lightning from the sky that instantly eliminates the bitterness, God just tells Moses to toss a piece of wood into the water to fix the problem. Just a piece of wood from some desert tree. And it's great that it works, but the entire action is really rather mundane. Now, Egypt, on the other hand, was a pretty spectacular place. Now, sure, the forced labor was no fun, but, but you didn't have to chase down your dinner or, or peel it up off the ground, <clears throat> and, and throwing wood into your water each day was unnecessary. So, you know, maybe it wasn't so bad there after all. Well, it's, it's interesting how the memories of the people became altered to fit their desires for what they thought would bring comfort. It wasn't easy for them to let go of their chains, regardless of what they saw God doing for them. You know, there are stories about convicted criminals who, after spending decades in prison, are finally released into a world that has passed them by and are now completely intimidated by the change and by the freedom. Now, some will actually commit another crime just to be thrown back into prison where at least life is predictable and requires very little initiative. For all of its danger and depressiveness, jail can seem familiar and safer than the outside world, but, but in the end, it's, it's still imprisonment. We're not immune to this way of thinking, you know. People can be enslaved by all kinds of things, by unforgiveness, by refusing to let go of past hurts and resentments because to do so would be to lose something very familiar Fear, anxiety, false expectations, and, and even sickness can all result in a form of enslavement, imprisoning us emotionally and barring us from the freedom to explore 
and enjoy God's desires for us. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. I have a strong desire, one that I know I share with all of you, to get past this pandemic and for things to get back to normal, whatever in the world that is. I've come to realize that, that there are aspects of my life that I've allowed to close me in, to shackle me in a way, so that I, I've not been attentive to what God is doing in those places. And as a result, my imagination and my hope just dries up. So I think about the trips that were canceled last year and, and all that I've missed in terms of the travel that I wanted to do. But then I risk not seeing the beauty of life that is all around me right now. I think about the family gatherings that didn't happen as planned. But then I, I don't allow myself to find new ways to connect with my loved ones because it just won't be the same. Really, it's a lot easier just to suffer in silence. And along with all of you, I miss times of in-person fellowship and worship with other Christians. And I can easily just fume about the challenges that we face and then sit in my own despair as any sense of creativity turns to dust. Now I have to tell you, as I was writing this part of my message this week, I was suddenly inspired to text my two college-age grandsons who, um, and suggest that it's time for the video chat. So maybe this is the week where I'm just preaching to myself. We'll see. Well, an important aspect of the wilderness experience of the ancient Hebrew people was the healing of their wounds as a people of enslavement. In a way, it was like a, a drug addict detoxing from the daily use of a narcotic. There's pain in that process, but there's also the ongoing nagging desire to return to the addiction. The Hebrew people's need to depend on the God who rescued them, the, the giving of the law which would reform them as a people under the direction and care of God rather than Pharaoh, the, the hope and the promise of a land of their own, all of this was a process that would ultimately heal them of their identity as nothing more than a slave population. I think it would be good for us to ask ourselves what our experiences over the last year have revealed about our own need for healing. As we've been locked down, isolated, angry, depressed, rebellious, cautious, fearful, whatever, we should ask, what is God showing us about our need for his fresh touch in our lives? If the only remedy for our pain is a, a return to what we think is normative, then we might be risking a kind of medication that merely masks the broken areas of our lives that God wants to heal. It could be like putting a band-aid on a fractured limb. The ancient Hebrew people had to be healed of their oppressive identity in order to find a new shared life as a covenant community in relationship with the one true God and also with one another. To be a covenant community was to be fully devoted to God just as God was devoted to his people. 
Now, the people often failed, uh, allowing their allegiances, uh, allegiances to be given to idols and the false gods that they represented, and they did so to their own peril. Is it possible in this difficult time that God is inviting us, and I mean the, the, the church at large as well as our own local church, to be healed of the things that have kept us shackled to oppressive memories and experiences and expectations that have made God's call to covenant community nothing more than a wish dream? In feeling as though we have lost so much, do we now have the opportunity to recognize what God wants us to gain? The Song of Moses, a song of praise and celebration, didn't disappear from the memory of the people of God just because of a temporary lack of drinking water. It echoes in several places later in the Bible, but in an especially poignant way in the 15th chapter of the New Testament book of Revelation. The reader is taken to a scene where the powers of evil are experiencing the beginning of their destruction. Those who have persevered and remained faithful now break out in song, but not just any song. We're told that they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and amazing are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. We all have some kind of chain that has become wrapped around us, a shackle that is designed to keep us from the kind of freedom that God has for us. Are any of those chains becoming evident to you? Is God showing you anything even today? I've discovered one or two chains in my own life and, and I'm anxious to get freed from them. How about you? Is the Lord God Almighty, whose deeds are great and amazing, is he enough for us? Are we willing to let him break those chains? I hope that we are. And I'm pretty sure that God has invited us into that freedom. So let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, you who have rescued us from the power of sin and death through your Son, Jesus, open our eyes today so that we might become aware of the chains that bind us and empower us to receive your liberating touch in our lives that we might be made free and release us into the beauty of your love and care.